Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. All right. My name's Esh, and uh, I have an update uh, from Boog and Steph, and so mostly from Stephanie, I'll say, and as many of you know, if you've been a part of this Branches family for, for an extended period of time, our dear brother, brother uh, Eric Boogie, or Boog Rose, has undergone a double lung transplant. Um, some of you may be here for the first time, so you're just hearing about this, and so we're w- glad that you're here. But we want you to know that one of the integral people and families of our community has undergone a tremendous amount of pain and loss. And uh, so he's on the healing track right now. But, but they're using, God is using Boog and Steph in amazing ways during this time. And so what I want to do is just kind of share uh, a little bit of what Steph has gone through. Boog's wife um, has taken to writing updates. So many of you are familiar with this, the GoFundMe page. Uh, she's kind of been allowing you to process alongside of her in this journey. And if you know her, she sort of generally takes a word each time or a phrase and then unravels it a little bit and gets into it and really studies into it. And so this morning, I'm going to give you a few snippets to give you an idea of how things are going, where they're at, and what the prayers uh, are and what their needs are. So Anyway, the last two have been about Lent and grace, Uh, and I'm going to read to you a few passages from these posts and then share some prayers and requests as well. So first, uh, Lent, and again, these are Steph's words as she's watching her husband go through this time and her family, her kids, uh, and she says this, uh, a piece of it is, is, I am living Lent right now. I've given up some of the most incredible things that I thought I could never live without. Like, we, go, we won't go through each thing, but the stripping, the pain, and the, the horror is very real. For me, especially for Bug, for our kids, our family, our friends, our church. Lots of people going without. There have been and there will always be days where I honestly just want to give in. Crawl in the corner and just bawl. Anybody been there? Like, this is the kind of hard that I know I can't do without God. So for me, my fast is already decided, but I will commit to clinging, trusting, and focusing on the only God that will get me through this. So the other parts of Lent are to focus on the simple, the simple life and service. So as this Lenten season begins, I pray all of us are choosing to do something that will bring you closer to the simple, beautiful life of loving God. Not easy, but really beautiful. I pray that as we choose our fast, we think about what will bring us close to God in ways we never thought we could. And now grace, and she writes this, grace. Now this is a word that I love. We even named Karis from this word. Her name means grace. Grace, an incredible gift we've all been given and it goes on forever. Always new, always good, forever ours. A gift that was bought at a price no one could afford, bought with a life that saves us from hell. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Cheesy, but so true. During these past few months, it has been hard, to say the least. This last week was really the hardest. 
I was getting so exhausted watching bugs suffer constantly with no break. I felt alone, tired, afraid that I couldn't pull this anymore. It was hard, like really hard. Bug feeling so defeated, watching him struggle with the medicine, realizing the reality of what his body went through and asking what God's purpose is in all of this. Honestly, I've not seen my husband comfortable for almost two years. Though he's alive and his lungs work beautifully, he is still in skin-crawling, uncomfortable pain, hard, frustrating, and dealing with the possibility that this is how it could be forever. The reality of what our new normal could be was very overwhelming. I wanted my husband back, and he wanted his life back. I wanted my life back, hard. What the heck does grace have to do with all this? That's what I was asking, and then I was so gently led to that cheesy acronym that I learned in junior high, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace. Riches? I lift up my head, lifted up my head and began to look around me and see all the incredible things God has given us during this time. I began to think about my childhood dreams of living in L.A. amongst the movie star life. Cheesy, but real. I seriously see someone famous every day. Awesome. I've been able to do things here in L.A. during this time that are like bucket list cool things grace. I've seen my kids grow to become strong, different kids, like they're better because of this. We have incredible friends and family that would sacrifice everything to serve our family. I've seen strangers in town that have told me their lives have been changed because of our situation. Doctors and nurses claiming that they watched a miracle. We lived a true miracle. Amazing. A job that allows me to leave for a bit and care for my husband. An incredible substitute in my classroom. The GoFundMe. A home filled with healthy kids. Boog has doctors that care, like really care. Grace. Good. Necessary. Grace. Sufficient. Enough. All we need kind of grace. Amidst the suffering, the hell, and the hard, God's perfect grace shows up. And we realize that we are rich in a way that no money can buy. We are rich with a God who has given us everything, and it is sufficient. It is all we need at the perfect time in all circumstances. Grace. Grace is not earned or only for the sinners or the righteous. And she quotes Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Grace is a gift for all of us, and it is sufficient. All we need all the time. And here are just a couple praises that Steph shares. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for your grace in our life. Thank you for your power in our weakness. Thank you so much for our community, our family, our dear friends. We are blessed beyond measure. Thank you for you, for giving us something to hold, hold on to in you. Thank you for getting us through the hard times and for the even harder times now. We love you and are so grateful for Easter and this season. And then I have some prayer requests of hers as well that are, that are shared on the site. And, and if you would, just bow your heads and pray along with me. Just turn your hearts towards the Lord and think of Boog, think of Steph, think of their kids, think of those that are caring for their kids and all of those that are, that are helping through this time. Please, Lord, show Boog why he is going through this. Please, Lord, encourage him. 
take away this pain. Give him rest so he can fight and get strong to get well. Lord, please remind us of this temporary pain for your glory and get us home to our kids soon. God, we lift up Boog and his healing. May he feel, see, and understand your grace in incredible ways right now, right here. God, please continue to use us and open doors to do whatever it takes to glorify you. And finally, Lord, I pray that anyone that reads this, sees this, hears about this, comes to you through this, would accept your incredible grace. Please let them see you and the incredible riches you have for us. Amen. What a testimony to the character of Boog and Steph and their family. Um, this is raw, and I kind of left out some of the more uh, colorful pieces, but you can read them, and I suggest that you do. Um, I do that out of respect and reverence for those of you that are here to worship but the reality is, is sometimes there's a loss in co covering over the colorful stuff and leaving it out because this is not meant to be a place where we gussy ourselves up and look all nice and try to make ourselves look good and perfect and without problems and without struggles and without... If, if there is a place where you ought to be able to bring the colorful and the hurt and the pain, it ought to be here, Amen. It ought to be in this kind of place, in this kind of setting. But for the sake of younger ears, <laughs> we'll, there, is, there is such a thing as innocence, and we'll spare it for as long as we can. So, uh, would you now turn and greet some of your friends and neighbors that are here? Good morning, good morning. Go ahead and find your seats. If I could have the ushers come up and grab some of these Bibles here and pass them out to those that need them. Go ahead and grab your seats. Again, ushers, if you guys could come up and pass out some Bibles, that'd be great. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5 this morning, so if you have a Bible, please turn, scroll, or click to John chapter 5. It's towards the back of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the New Testament, the New Covenant. You guys hear me Okay. So this morning's sermon, I would love to say that they're all my ideas, but I love to share my ideas, which usually come from other great minds. Uh, so I'll be drawing from this book, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, a book by N.T. Wright that I think Michael touched on it, J John for Everyone. These are great little commentaries. Uh, the Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, The Bible, of course, uh, and my friends Bart Tarman and Chris Pritchett. Uh, so I'll keep these up here, and actually I'm going to use these two today, so. We've been in this series, Hold Your Questions, and questions are great things, really good. Questions are often a lot better than answers, because uh, they take you deeper and deeper. And so, for this season, we've decided to hold our questions, not get rid of them, not, dis not discard them, but hold them, and we're going to take some questions from the scripture, and particularly from Jesus. 
uh, because sometimes it's good to hear what he might ask of us and that we might be drawn into a deeper relationship with him. So, John chapter 5, I'm going to get right into it. And this is, uh, you know, in a lot of churches, they read the scripture first, and generally this is the most unfamiliar part to you and to me. It was like the actual words of scripture, the ideas that are in here that are the most unfamiliar to me, so you should start with a story and then make it all make sense into the scripture. But we're going to work backwards a little bit today, so you're going to have to hang in there with me. Uh, it's going to get real familiar and, and understandable at the end, but we're going to start out kind of weird. Like we're talking about the Middle East, Jerusalem, a thing called the Sheep Gate, and pools, and porticos, and weird things like that. All very unfamiliar to us, right? Uh, but we'll get there. We're going we're gonna to understand it. Now, John chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to read uh, all the way to verse 9. It's going to take a little less than two minutes, probably. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethzatha, or perhaps in your translation, Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these porticos lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, rise up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. All right. So that's our passage for this morning, and there's a few things I just want to draw your attention to in this. Uh, this pain, this illness, this can become your thing, right? Your pain, your illness, your limitation, your addiction, it can become your thing. It can become... You can hold on to it. You can make pain your scapegoat. Uh, pain can become very comfortable. It can keep you company. And the man in this story, as you read, is it, did you guys catch his name? No. This is, this is common in a lot of these stories, but it, in this story, this man has no name. He's this invalid, right? He's the invalid by the pool, as a lot of scholars refer to him as. Uh, it's not that maybe John just forgot to write it down, but he might be telling us something, right? That that's us. That's us. We're content to have our identity be our brokenness, our pain, our limitations, our addictions, and yet Jesus wants us to have a name. He wants to heal us. He wants us to find our identity in him. And this man had been here for 38 years, or at least been ill and had been there a long time. We don't know that he'd actually been laying in that exact portico for 38 years, 
And what for? Did you guys catch uh, verse 4 in there? One, two, three, five. If you're reading your Bible, it probably skips a verse in there. Uh, Strange, huh? Like there's a typo. Uh, But really, this pool called Bethesda, or in some translations, mine says Bethzatha, it's in Jerusalem, and it's just north of the Temple Mount, okay? It's, it's, you can go, you can see it for yourself, it's been excavated, you can go check it out, you can see the actual area where the pool was, and, and uh, you can hang out there. But this was known to be a place of healing, and it wasn't just regarded as a Jewish place of healing, it was like a pagan place of healing well, as well. At one stage it was dedicated to the god Asclepius, who was this healing god that people would sacrifice to. And, but the, the legend has it of this pool is that an angel would come down and stir the waters. Nobody would see this, but there would be sort of like this bubbling of the waters. Who, if there are people in there, who knows what that bubbling is. But if it's not, if it's empty and there's bubbling coming out of the waters, the thought is that there is an angel that has stirred the waters and the first person that can get into those waters would be healed. That was, that was the legend. So he, you know, an angel, in verse four, what, used, what it used to say in some texts is, for an angel of the Lord, in verse four, went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after stirring the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. Now, this was found in ancient manuscripts, but it was removed because it wasn't found to be authentic to the authorship of John. It wasn't in the oldest, most reliable manuscripts that we had of John. So, apparently, Jesus is cruising by this pool, and he sees this man. And this man, I'm guessing, was probably a paraplegic. He just could not move. He couldn't, he, he was somehow paralyzed couldn't walk, and for 38 years, he's been ill. Now, I don't know if that, that's how old he is, if he was lame from birth or whatever it was, but it's been a long time that he's been there, right? And he says, Jesus says to this man, do you want to be made well? Do you want to get well? And he doesn't answer, does he? No, he, he starts in on, you know, whenever the waters are stirred, I can't get down there because no one, I have no one to put me in the water. Someone always steps down ahead of me. So this is this guy's plan for healing, right? To sit by this pool where supposedly, maybe he's seen people get healed, I don't know. Something's keeping him there. But it, at best, this is like a sporadic sort of healing that happens, and at worst, it's just a a pipe dream, right? But this is what this guy is committed to. I'm going to sit here in this place, and maybe I'll see the waters get stirred, and I'll be able to get into the pool and get healed. But that doesn't seem to be the case. 38 years of trying the same thing. Apparently, and I'm just guessing, this guy had driven everyone away from him right? He has no one. No one. Now just think of someone in your life who you love that is sick or invalid, and there's a pool that when the waters are stirred, if you put them in it, they could be healed. Wouldn't you be there for that person? So this person has no one. 
And I would, I would submit to you that we can be like this. We can be so entrenched in our own pain, in our own suffering, in our own situation that we literally can't see beyond ourselves to anyone else. And you know people like this. Because you just spend, you haven't seen them in a while and then you see them and that thing comes up again. They're the injustice that's been done to them, the unfairness of their situation. And that's their identity. Whether it was a divorce, whether it was abuse, whether it was losing a job, some physical limitation that they have, and you meet them again, and they just continue to drive you away. Because all it is about is their pain and their suffering. And, it, and what is it? It's draining, right? You have those people in your life when they, they're, they're with you, and it's kind of like they're like, and they just plug into you, and they're like, mm, oh, that feels good. And they take, 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 take from you. And you leave feeling drained, right? I wonder if that's what this guy was like. He'd literally driven everyone away and had no one to put him in the pool. Trying to carry out the same plan for healing with no success, expecting a different result. Some people call that insanity. Do you want to be made well? This seems like a rude question, right? Like Jesus needs some sensitivity training here. Like, dude, did you never like learn how to be a good pastor? Come on, you don't. <laughs> no, I'm just sitting here because it's a nice view. Like, do you want to be made well? That's the question that he's asking. Do you want to be made well? Because we're all sort of sitting with some kind of pain. We're all sort of sitting here with some kind of limitation, addiction, pain, suffering that we are, we are experiencing. It seems like the obvious answer is yes, of course, I want to be made well. But if you look at the way this guy has ordered his life around sitting around this pool, hoping that maybe something will happen or change for such a long time. Maybe the question isn't so crazy. Who would want to live like this? You know, Jesus obviously never interned in a church, so he didn't know how to work, didn't know how to work with people that had been sick. So he asked them a very insensitive question, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Maybe you have friends that are like this, or maybe you're like this. Maybe you've made friends. You've made friends with your ailment, with your pain. You've made good friends with your pain. You've made great friends with your addiction. You've made great friends with your limitations, with your circumstance, or with your sin. This book, The Great Divorce, uh, has anybody read it? Any hands here? Good. I expect there to be a lot more next week after you go out and get this and read it. Uh, <laughs> it'd take you all but a day or so to read it. It's, it's pretty quick. Um, it's a fun story and also very sobering at the same time. Um, this book is about heaven and hell. This is a book about heaven and hell and the great divorce between the two. And in the book, 
the people in hell are sort of these ghost-like, wispy figures. They're grayish and don't really have much. They don't have anything solid to them. They're not actually real (laughs) in that sense. You can't feel them, you know, you can't. They're just sort of this ghost-like figure. But they, there is this opportunity to take a bus from hell to what we would call purgatory. You know, this place where you can be renewed and remade. And you meet there people from heaven, perhaps loved ones, family members, angels. And so in this story, you're following the story of one man who goes there and he observes everything. He's just writing down all his observations of conversations and things that take place in this story. And when they're there, you know, they step out of the bus into, into the, this light place because hell is consistently dusk. It's never dark. It's never morning. It's, ne- it's just dusk. And it's constantly gray and clouded and Now they're in this light place, and they step out onto the grass, and they see the blades of grass go up through their feet, because the grass is real grass, and their feet are but apparitions of of feet. And so he's watching, and he sees one of these ghosts come forward, and he meets this figure that he later sees to be an angel. And they have this sort of interaction, and I want to read to you this interaction It is story time. Settle in. (laughs) It's going to take about four minutes, (laughs) just so you know. So this is coming out. This is later in the story here, but he says this. But look, I saw coming toward us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. Like all the ghosts, he was unsubstantial. But they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. And what sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard. And it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. And then he turned and started to limp westward away from the mountains. Now the mountains are further into this heavenly place. So he's turning away from it. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your, your hospitality, but it's, it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, here he indicated to the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here, I realize that, but he won't stop. I'll, I'll just, I shall just have to go home. Would you like me to make him quiet, said the flaming spirit, an angel as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Ah, look out, 
you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with, with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm, I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's, it's so damn embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I think, you know, I'll think over what you've said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It would be most silly to do it now. I need to be in good health for the operation. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know, you, you think I'm a coward, but, but it isn't that, really it isn't. I say, let me run back to tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor, and I'll come the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You're jeering at me. How can I let you tear me in pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me? Before I knew, it'd be all over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite, and then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there'll be no real pleasures. I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit, I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say quite innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did, you're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then may I. You'll have to read the story to find out what happens. 
But isn't that us? With our pain, with our addiction, with our suffering, whatever it is that's limiting us, holding us, owning us, whispering to us, tying us down. Do you want to be made well? Years ago, I was a part of a ministry, my, my intern and I at a church that I used to work at, we called it The Door. The Door was a place where a young man could come and talk about their addiction to pornography. Uh, and it was a safe environment, and our hope was that it would be the door to healing, to a new way of living. It wasn't the answer or the cure, it was the door. Are you, do you want to be made well? And in this place, young men would talk about how their iPad or their iPhone or their, their, their computer or their, their laptop, their smartphone was such a source of pain and frustration. And they consistently went back to it time and time again to look at porn. And I would ask them, is it worth it? Do you want to be made well? Is it worth it to have your iPhone if it means you will have this pornography in your pocket? Or your iPad? Or your laptop? If you could trade your iPhone for freedom from this addiction, would you do it? Hands down, 100% of them said yes. 99% of them kept their phones, their iPads, and their computers. One out of all the guys gave me his laptop, gave me his phone, gave me his iPad, gave me his iPod. And I held those in a safe deposit box until he was ready to receive them back. And then I also put all kinds of limitations on them and codes that only I, <laughs> I could hold. He couldn't, I took the internet off, he couldn't download anything. To him, he wanted to be made well. Do you want to get well? I think for Jesus as he's walking by, because some of us don't, do you even want to want to get well? I think that's enough for him. If you just want to want to get well. We're so comfortable with our sin and we're not really sure we want to kill it because we've listened to this lie that it's, and it's what, it's what defines us. Like that lizard, you, you're, then you wouldn't really be a man without me. You wouldn't be you if you didn't have this. And the thing about Jesus is he often asks us to cooperate with him in the miracle of our own healing. Work with me here, guys. <laughs> right? A blind man, he has to go wash his mud from his eyes in the pool of Siloam. You can read about it in John 9. He has to participate in his own healing. And in here, this man has to get up and walk even though he hadn't in 38 years. It doesn't say anything about his belief in here, but he must have believed something because he stood up, started walking, took his mat. Get up. And you know what's interesting about that word? And I love that words are so powerful that Jesus can just say something and it changes someone's chemistry. 
changes their biological makeup. Get up. That's the same word that's used in the New Testament for resurrect, to rise up. To be resurrected, to have a new life. Take on a new life. The Apostle John, he writes, uh, same, same writer in a letter, 1 John chapter 3, he says, see, see how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. You're not defined by your sin. You're not defined by your illnesses. You are not defined by your success. You are not defined by your possessions by your relationships, by your athletic ability. Whether you can't walk or whether you're a healthy cross-fitting person. (laughs) Those things do not define you. They simply do not. Your identity is in Jesus alone as his child and that is untouchable. Do you wanna get well? Or do you want to lay around and make excuses and remain nameless like this man? Uh, Franciscan priest Richard Rory says, pain that is not transformed is transmitted. It's a good one to write down. Pain that is not transformed is transmitted. Untransformed pain leaks onto other people. We kick the dog, we yell at the kids, we oversleep, we overeat, or numb ourselves with TV, but the pain is still there. Do you want to be made well? Jesus is inviting you into this vitality of life and creativity and beauty. If you would just let go of the things that you think define you and embrace your true identity as his child. If you want to want to get well, I think that's enough for him. And so since Jesus often asks us, asks us to participate in our own healing, let's make a decision to pray this morning. So I'm gonna pray, and we're gonna pray for healing. And it may be, it may be a physical healing. It may be a spiritual, it may be an emotional. Jesus wants to heal us wholly. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray and I'll just lead you through this prayer and I'll invite up our, our worship team during this time. And I'm going to go slow because I want you to engage with the Creator in this prayer. To Jesus, I want you to picture yourself by that pool waiting for something to happen. So Lord, would you now bring to our minds a wound that needs healing? And I would advise you to to concentrate on one wound right now. 
Lord, would you show us if this particular wound is the one we have grown comfortable with and allowed to define us in some way? And this wound may be a, may be a sin, maybe something you've done, something that's been done to you. Would you show us if this particular wound is one we have grown comfortable with and allowed to define us in some way? And Lord, would you now reveal to us what you would like us to do about this wound? Is there an action for us to take? Reveal it to us now. Lord, help us to trust you, to know that the gradual process is of no use, that all moments are contained now, that this is a chance to rise up, to be resurrected, to be made new, right here, right now. Lord, many of us are powerless, and in in a way, all of us are. We need you to kill some things in our lives. Give us the courage to give you permission. Give us the courage to take the necessary steps. We want to be made well. We want to want to be made well. We want to want to want to be made well. (laughs) Have mercy on us, Jesus. We trust you. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen.